0: Hi, this is Jeff Davis. I spent many years just down the road playing rock and roll along the lakefront in Chicago at WLS Music Radio. This year's a banner year for Radio Centennials. That's why I'm happy to wish my brothers and sisters in radio a heartfelt 100th anniversary at 1440 WROK in Rockford, Illinois. Sometimes people just need a really good reason to get back together and enjoy each other. This is one of those occasions. Getting behind the microphone again and sharing those seldom told tales is a special feeling these folks didn't want to pass up. The studio is filled with decades of photos, bumper stickers, buttons, albums, t-shirts, jackets, original signs, and well-deserved industry awards. Here's to WROK's 100 years of broadcasting in Northern Illinois and Southern Wisconsin. And now, more radio stories between old friends on another episode of the Storyteller Studio. Good afternoon and welcome back to Storyteller
1: Studio. This time we are on the road again and we are at a very familiar place because Pam Police and I came to Frankie's Deli in Oak Brook Terrace, Illinois, and spent our time together And when it was time to get Bill Taylor on the show, he said, well, that sounds like a great place. I think the food was maybe
2: an attraction, Mm -hmm. wasn't it? Uh, It was an attraction for sure. (laughs) It It, it certainly got my appetite going. Yeah, yeah.
1: So uh, I'm really glad that we've been able to get this date. There's a couple of backstories that we need to set this up is to even how we met.
2: And I guess we could attribute that at least in part to Art Bolo. Yes. Uh, uh, Unless there was a time before. Yeah, uh, probably everything runs through, ebbs and tides (laughs) through Art Volo and his house. Whether you want it to or or not. Yes. Yeah. But Art Volo's a a radio reuniter, a radio historian Mm -hmm. uh, who has parties at his home uh, every year, every year. Every two years. Yeah. And I think you and I eyeballed there and started talking about local Chicago radio.
1: Yeah. And it was sort of crazy because it was a 12 hour party. Yes. And I was there for most of the time. I was also. Because, you know, when you sort of go to Ann Arbor and Detroit, you got nothing else to do, you know. So that's when they ran the thing. Everybody that piled into that room or to that house and deck and yard was Detroit or national radio royalty. Exactly, it yes. Was, it was a little astonishing with the people that just kept flowing in, like Dick Purton would be a really good example. Flash Phelps from Sirius XM would be a really good example. Yes. And just the greatest people and willing to just sit and talk radio and fart around, which is exactly what we like to do.
2: Exactly. Uh, taking those walks down memory lane are probably the most fun of, of all of it, but then we try to connect that to current times and the current... Uh, shape of the radio industry and yeah. makes, for, makes for fun and, and it does. interesting conversations. It does,
1: and every time you'll say, "Well, if you were in such and such a city, don't you know so and so?" And sure enough, you'll get a nodding head one way or the other. And says, "Well, I don't know him from that city, but I know him when I was in Texas." You know that type of That's thing. That's right. Because it's a very small community, but yet you know, sort of big when you really think about it. But the very first time we met. Was because of Pam Police, who was doing the Dick Bianchi documentary. Yes. And that was at the Des Plaines Museum of Broadcast Communication Rock Radio Revisited panel uh, event. Yes. And when she said, well, aren't you going to the dinner tonight? And I, don't, I don't know what was going on there. And she goes, ah, oh, come on, come on. So I walked into WCFL and WLS people, maybe 18 of us. And, of course, Art Volo was there, too. Uh, of course he was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And I sat next to you, but it was, it was like a beehive. It was a different conversation than what we had at Art Volo's house.
2: Yes, it was. Yeah. Uh, more emphasis on Chicago radio, I guess, because of what had occurred just before that dinner.
1: Yeah. There were people like Tommy Edwards and John Records Landecker that were on the panel. Just a very, very nice afternoon. But that was also the time that I first met Ted Gordon Smucker who is responsible for the Rewound Radio, WCFL, and WLS Labor Day weekend marathon, I guess. That was, which his, you, mission. That was, was his mission, yes. Yeah, which you were a part of.
2: Yes, absolutely. So how
1: did all that come about? How did you guys connect, and how did you play a part in that?
2: I think that well, Ted Smucker and Art Bolo have known each other for uh, quite some time, I think. They have. And I believe when Ted got the idea to put, to put it together... I'm guessing that Art probably dropped my name knowing that I had worked in Chicago radio. Oh. And it kind of stemmed from there. There might have been another route that intelligence got to tad, but I'm not sure of that part of it.
1: And before you know it, uh, you've got a pile of people like Lyle Dean and Fred Winston, and I don't know if Ron O'Brien was part of that, but just... uh, well, have you contacted so-and-so? Uh, here's his number, and on
2: they go. Yes. Uh, matter of fact, I was instrumental in getting uh, Doug Dahlgren's phone number to Ted because uh, you know I had been in touch with Doug here and there. Last I heard, he's still, li- he's still living in Chicago. Here's a guy from the West Coast that came to work in Midwest- Midwestern Radio wow. and ended up uh, going here and there and then settling back in Chicago. So Excellent. Um, so I knew how to contact him, and so he was part of it and cut a promo and everything that was kind of fun nice
1: you know the nice part about this whole I think it's 66 hours now and it's from literally from Dick Bianchi and Larry Lujak to Tommy Edwards and Jeff Davis and then you know you've got that whole lineup on the CFL side this was in the 70s when WCFL and WLS were head-to-head they would swap radio announcers steal people away from each other frequently the nice part about it is you and i are used to air checks which do not have the bodies of the songs but they were able to put this all back together again primarily with a lot of help from bill shannon so if you only had an air check they would magically put the music right back into it
2: that is hard work yes and i was i was just totally blown away by how good it sounded oh. i in most cases i could not tell
1: yeah and they also made it radio ready which was probably a challenge also but when you listen to that labor day weekend event it's just like you turned on the radio that day as a teenager or somebody in college and we're just listening to the radio again
2: exactly commercials and all i mean yes commercials for uh for businesses that are no longer, but that we remember, and some that are still around and have an entirely different image.
1: And then some really corny jingles. Yes. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Which, you know, back in the day, that's sort of what they did. So before we go any further, because you talked about promos, let's play Bill Taylor's promo for Reround Radio.
3: Super CF bill
2: taylor rewound radio is doing it again it's wls wcfl rewound this is bill taylor join me and my friends for three big days saturday sunday and monday labor day weekend all labor day weekend you can relive listening to your favorite radio stations from chicago the music and groups before they were classics i think this is the best part the djs you grew to love or hate Many jocks came through Chicago and ended up in another city far away. You can also hear the news of the day as it was in real time. You'll also hear commercials for companies and products that are still around today, and some for those clients that have long since gone away. We've heard from people all over America that remember these two great stations from the earlier days of rock and roll as their 50,000 watts covered much of the United States at night. Rewind Radio, where it's not how old it is, it's how good it is.
3: W-L-S. Rewound.
1: very nice job wow that was so nice and to have all those other
2: people do promos like that too a lot of them were very well thought out and when i submitted mine and heard the others i said you know I think I, I've been outdone. <laughs> <laughs> but So next, ti- <laughs> next time I'm going to try to <laughs> use what I heard from the others as an influence.
1: Did you throw up the retake flag?
2: <laughs> <laughs> Take two. I did. <laughs> but I was happy on on the on one of the promos. Uh, well, I was inspired to think about the, uh, the news people, obviously. Oh, yeah. The, the, Sometimes we, we, we don't think about who was doing our news when we were on the air because everybody had that news commitment.
1: Right. And who comes to mind mostly with your
2: radio career? John Gannis, for sure, because I worked with him probably most often than any other news person. Okay. All at, at one station or uh, at multiple d- stations? At WCFL. Okay. Uh, I could say Jim Frank because actually I worked with uh, Jim Frank three times Whoa. in my career. Whoa. First at WCFL. Uh, between things, he was uh, a news person at Satellite Music Network, which had a location down in the southwest suburbs for okay. a number of years. All right. Then he ended up going to Florida and, and, and coming back to WMAQ when they were an all news station.
1: And you ended up there too. I, I ended up there too. So,
2: <laughs> got to know Jim Frank quite well uh, as a manager, as a, uh, as a fellow broadcaster doing news and yeah. all kinds of things. Did he finish out his career in radio? I think he did. He became ill. last job I think he had was at WBBM and he just became too ill to oh be on the air anymore. Yeah, but
1: still to to at the end of your career to be at WBBM in Chicago. Holy yes. cow.
2: Yes. I, and what's, uh, I remember going to visitation at a funeral home in Mount Prospect because okay. he, he lived in, in the northwest suburbs and it was like 15% family. Oh, no. Oh, no. 85% <laughs> radio people. I, and they, I, they come I, out of the woodwork. I saw I saw Clark Weber there. I saw. No. Oh, you, you, just, you, you name them, they were there. Oh. It was just packed with radio people. And what
1: year might this have been?
2: I want to say early 2000s, maybe. Okay. All right. Yeah, early yeah. 2000s. You he would have had he's,
1: a lot of those people still around. Yeah. Wow. Where did it all start for you? And what year?
2: I'd say 1971, really. Okay. I was always a radio fanatic. That probably takes me before the days where my, my voice changed. Ah. I just listen to radio, just, just fascinated by jingles and how it was all put together and what yes. is actually happening there to make this come over the speakers. Join the club. Yeah. Uh, my father was in the uh, uh, shoe business for a while. Okay. And he had a, a good friend by the name of. Uh, barely remember his name is Maynard Gilbertson hmm. and I went with my father one time to meet everybody called him Gil or Gilly at the store and this is just after just like I was like 14 oh uh, and he says you know with that voice you have to, to do something <laughs> you should get yes. yeah. so that, that kind of stuck with me and I said well okay hey I got, I got uh, you know a review on, on my voice from this, this fellow and B I'm interested in the business so I decided to take that direction. It took a while. I was in my early 20s doing something else, and I finally decided. I knew so many people in radio through this, that, and the other.
1: So, so you didn't start out at like a high school or a college station or anything like that. You went right into commercial radio.
2: Correct. Wow, good for you. wasn't Wasn't a bad first gig either. It was no. uh, it was uh, in McKeesport, Pennsylvania. Okay. Um, we talk about cleveland radio we'll talk about wixie of course oh big they, time they for a while tried to branch out with another station on 1360 a.m in mckeesport oh. and call it w- call it wixie with WIXZ as the call letters oh my so i had a chance to work there for several months and then did the, you grow up in pennsylvania no not at all i'm from chicago but oh my. I, I just knew people that could
1: oh my pull
2: strings wow <laughs> so wow and to say that when I first started there, I you know because I had run very I had very little experience, it was totally amazing that I could get a job like that, with really zero commercial experience. All the board learning and, and the timing and everything that's that's yeah. where I learned it. Wow. So I, I kind of my first entry into radio was it was like a, a half oldies half current format. So were you sort of a talker and a storyteller to your friends
1: and high school and stuff like that that made talking on the radio very easy for
2: you? No, I, I think I base what I would do off of what I heard people doing on, on radio. And just, just mimic them. Just mimic them. Wow. Uh, Trying to develop my own style uh, with, with them being an influence. Am
1: predominantly Top 40 radio?
2: Yes. Okay, no news talk or anything like that throughout your career? No, that came much later. Okay, much gotcha. Later. Wow. But it was, it was all Top 40.
1: So when did you come back to Chicago? Did you skip around on the East Coast a little bit?
2: Oh, yeah. I, I did a whirlwind tour. Uh, <laughs> did they print T-shirts? D- probably. <laughs> it, it, it would be a really crowded T-shirt if you put the callers of all, all the places I worked at. Scrabble board? Right. <laughs> but... Just to give you I'll try to remember this in chronological order, because sometimes it was just a couple months in any given place. From Pittsburgh it was, went to Detroit. From Detroit to St. Louis, that was kind of a transfer between Bartell Media. Uh, from there to Louisville, that's where I met Bill Hennis, and we've been friends ever since. So I've been friends with Bill Hennis for, like, what, 50 years?
1: And these are big cities, recognizable yeah. cities, not mm-hmm. like tiny, tiny little dunks out in the middle of a cornfield. No,
2: there were there were markets, and you know, in Louisville, there was that battle wow. going on between Wacky and WKLO, and I was part of that. I was on opposite Gary Burbank.
1: Whoa! Yes.
2: So that was a, That was a task.
1: You were hiding this fact from me
2: <laughs> for a year. It, it it's all been out there, you know. <laughs> it just didn't
1: come up until now.
2: No, no. And, and then I got an offer while in Louisville to work at KHJ. You worked at KHJ. Yes, I did. What what year? Uh, summer of '73.
1: Who were some of the other people on the lineup? Are you I mean you're talking Charlie Tuna
2: and those people? Or Charlie Charlie Tuna had already gone to San Diego, soon to return to Los Angeles, I think. But while I was at KHJ, that's when they brought in Charlie Van Dyke to do the morning show at oh KHJ. My. But uh, Johnny Williams, the very famous, uh, iconic, all-night man, was there when I arrived. Legendary. Yes. This is when RKO decided, well, you know, we have Morgan and Steele. We're paying them a lot of money. Do we really need to do that? They decided to uh, <laughs> go on the cheap. So they, Some bean counter in right. the back. <laughs> right. Yeah. Who's so, never been on the air. Who right. can't appreciate it. So, some, unfortunately, I, I wish I could have worked there when Morgan and Steele were there, but I was after that. But Johnny Williams is still there. Uh, they, they retained some of the people from the golden era.
1: Is most of your career like 6 to 10 p.m. or 10 to 2 was it sort of the the flame throwing top 40 shift that you did or did you do middays most of the time for the sake of argument?
2: Well, uh in Louisville I did afternoon drive. Okay. But if I did any midday stuff it was uh, usually filling in for somebody. Okay. But generally I was uh, the late either an afternoon voice or a nighttime voice. I was brought into KSJ to do weekends, but they were, they were planning if all worked out uh, to have me do 9 to midnight or something. I think that was the rumor. What occurred is uh, that whole atmosphere didn't work out very well. It is,
1: it be- is it because of Southern California or the station itself?
2: Oh, the station itself, Southern oh, California gotcha. at that time. Southern California was a wonderful place Gotcha. Uh, to live and, and shop and work and all wow. that stuff, all that stuff. So no, no complaints there. But the station was just in turmoil. I didn't uh, get along with the uh, management all that well. I respected what their, their knowledge. I didn't uh, respect it all the way they handled people in most cases. Gotcha
1: and we've all experienced those right. types of things and you know lots of people say if you just wait long enough that person will move on to another city whether it be on their own accord or not yes if you can just wait long enough and if you were a night person 6 to 10 10 to 2 overnights the wait was a lot easier If you were during the day, midday's afternoons morning show, it it was torture. Yes. Because that bobblehead walked by your studio window about every half hour, and it was a constant reminder when you're trying to be cheery and you're trying to do your job that I can't stand being here. (laughs) (laughs) Yes.
2: I've seen that happen.
1: Over and over again. And lots of times, it has nothing to do with your radio station. Let's say you worked for the A.M., it was all the turmoil happening on the FM. So it's still within the building, but it's not really your team, right? But it still affects you because, yeah, because there's, there's a loose raccoon somewhere and it rears its head every now and then. It does. Yeah. And that's where I, I think trying to pull radio announcers, um, you know, they hear about them, they know about them through somebody else, and they try to pull them to their station. But I think lots of times that's why so many announcers have so many stations on their resume because of the environment. You're an entertainer, and if the environment is not good, you got to go one, yeah. one way or the other. It proves for interesting stories, so doesn't it? It does, yes. <laughs> it does. So when did you get back to Chicago?
2: When I left KHJ, I briefly worked at KTLK in uh, Denver. Okay. That didn't last for very long, only because shortly thereafter I got the offer from WCFL. Wow. to uh, to do weekends there. So that was hard to turn down. It was interesting because you know that John Rook, of course, was program director of WLS for for 68, 69, part 70, mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. Then he came into WCFL in early 72 uh, to be their program director. Wasn't there for very long. Some people would say he, he still consulted the station. Some people say, no, he's out of here. He has no influence whatsoever. Oh, my. But I do remember him asking me, you're from Chicago. Do you think you'd like to work at WCFL? I remember that in the conversation. I said, Well, of course, you know. Right. That's, that's kind of been an ambition to work at one of the two stations. So, yeah. what happened in between, I don't know, but I remember <laughs> getting on. You, you sound like a band member. Right. What happened in between, <laughs> right. I have no recollection. <laughs> right. I just remember the moving company was like right down the street from where I was living in Denver, so it was oh. easy.
1: <laughs> How convenient. Wow. Uh, th- let me guess. That you were at WKQX and WMAQ, both owned by NBC and the Merchandise Mart at the time, about 1979
2: or 1980. Okay, 79-80 for KQX, which was owned by NBC, right, KQX. By the time I came to WMAQ, they they changed hands into uh, Westinghouse. Gotcha. So they were a Westinghouse station.
1: So here's why I prefaced that story the way I did. And I've told this to somebody on Storyteller Studio before. I can't remember exactly why it came up. I think I also mentioned it to John Landecker when I was on his show on WGN about three weeks ago. Ah. I, at the age of 19 or 20, decided to come into Chicago to see how the big boys did it. And I set up appointments at WLS and WMAQ and WGN and WBBM. I mean, we hit like four stations in one day. Yeah. And you were there at that same time because here are the guys that I met with that were so cordial and so, hey, young kid, you know, here's the big deal and don't give up. Whatever you run into, don't give up. Good advice. Art Roberts, mm-hmm. I think he was doing afternoons on WKQX. He was. Do you remember Bob Tracy? Uh, yes. He was on WMAQ. Do you remember Charlie O'Neill?
2: Oh, definitely. Yeah. Afternoon drive.
1: Those were the guys that were there. I have pictures to prove it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then we went over to WBBM, and I think Nick Scott was the guy that we met with. And then when we went to WLS, it was Jim Smith, the music director. And I don't remember Jim ever being on the air, but he, he was the music director. And they were all so cordial and so generous with their time. And it wasn't just a tour. It was a sit-down conversation about the industry. How do I maneuver all of this? Because I was working in Freeport, Illinois at the time. Great that
2: great. they were generous with their time. W- yeah.
1: I, I guess they figured if this kid's 19 years old and he's got enough cojones to drive into Chicago and call ahead and make appointments and actually do it, well, then we might as well accommodate him for a couple of hours. And that's what they did. You were there, though. If I had just hung out at WKQX a hair longer, you probably would have walked in the door for your shift.
2: Probably so, yes.
1: Yes. Wow. Because
2: I was doing the uh, the evening show there.
1: Oh, well, that that explains it. We were there during the day. Right. Wow. If you had to categorize the most fun you had, forget about management, forget about pay, forget about any of that, the most fun you had on Chicago radio, what station would it have been?
2: Probably... I'd have to say uh, CFL. If we're talking, we're going to limit it to the Chicago stations. Yeah. Uh, Just because of the interaction with that with that huge of an audience. Yeah. Um, Even when I was doing weekends, I remember being there to record something one day, and the uh, record promo guy for Atlantic came in. This is shortly after the Jackson Five moved away from Motown to Atlantic. I was just leaving, and he was there with Michael Jackson and Jermaine. They were trying to get Dancing Machine played. It was a pretty pretty good hit. It was not not as big as the ones they hit earlier. But they were trying to get that played. They were just leaving. I was just leaving. So I had a chance to shake hands with the the record guy whose name I don't remember and the the two Jackson brothers before leaving. No way. Were,
1: Were they in to have an interview with somebody?
2: They were there to make... The talk CFL in the playing, dancing machine, basically. I think that was their sole mission. Wow. Because a lot No of time, pun intended. No. <laughs> you know, it was, it was uh, I don't know that much about the record, uh, industry, you know, record industry from record label points, but I know that when the four seasons changed, the labels from VJ to whatever, they really had to push hard to get that next hit wow. uh, on the air because, yeah. well, it's on a different label. I don't know what there is about that, but I think that was the whole intent and with Atlantic, seeing Jackson yeah. 5, they're not on Motown anymore.
1: Because, you know, when I was a music director in Charleston, West Virginia, and maybe I was just young and dumb and it didn't matter to me, I didn't show a preference to a label. Like RCA or something like that did not get my attention quicker. It was more the artist getting my attention or literally putting it on the turntable. To give you an idea... An idea I resisted for way too long. Oh my God, I regret this so much. There was one song out of my whole career that I really regret not jumping on as quick as I should've. And it was Girls Just Wanna Have Fun by Cindy Lauper. Oh, okay. I thought it was so wackadoodle <laughs> that it was just way out in left field. And for our format, it, it just didn't fit. Well, my God, after a while, it became so popular that it fit everywhere. And, and I came very late to that party, and I felt bad about it. But, you know, you sort of have to go with your gut. You do. And yeah. sometimes your gut is wrong. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it is. You, you wouldn't be the first to, to make a decision like that.
1: No, not at all. For,
2: for better or for worse.
1: That's right. Bill, I have to interrupt you because I see over your shoulder somebody walked in that you and I both know. Pam, how are, ya? Right, this, how are you? Good. This is Pam Police. Her and I did our show here at Frankie's Deli a couple of months ago, and Pam is doing the Dick Bianchi documentary, doing screenings in Michigan and Indiana and Wisconsin mm-hmm. and Illinois, all over. But Pam and you and I sat at that Italian restaurant at the end of the, the Displays event.
2: Yes. And Higgins. that's
1: where we all first met each other, and here we are a year later. Yes. Pam came in, I think, to get a hug or something, or maybe just a sandwich. I'm not really sure how that works, but hi. <laughs> it's good seeing you. you too. It's really good seeing you. I, you I think this is a really good time to play one of the um, files that Ted Smucker gave me of you on WCFL during the Rewound Radio Labor Day weekend collage that he did. And this is from 1974.
4: Enjoy. You are what shit to. show at 11 o'clock from the Voice of Labor.
3: Can you see a
4: this is the place where over $18,000 in SuperCall cash have been given away so far. The exact total now is $1,738. Know it and win. Super Call on Super CFL. Hey,
3: Marryville, rock on. WCFL, it's
4: 1103 with the fun. Everybody's
3: doing a brand dance now.
4: Drug, Jewel Family Centers and Gold also at Sarah Montgomery Ward, Turnstile Playback and Osco Drug Stores. Now,
5: every Walgreen pharmacy in the Chicagoland area has over 10,000 prescription prices on open display. Our low prices are an open book. When you're Eddie Kendricks, there's only one way to follow an album with a song like Keep On Truckin'. And that's with an album with a song like Boogie Down.
3: Boogie. boogie down, baby. Ooh, look, Boogie.
5: Eddie Kendrick's Boogie Down.
3: Girl, your tenderness, your sweet caress Seems to bring such happiness I'm loving you the second time
5: Eddie Kendrick's Boogie Down picks up where Keep On Truckin' left off and never lets up. Eddie Kendrick's Boogie Down,
4: right now, on Motown Records and Tapes. Oh, I hear you. Available wherever records and tapes are sold at... WCFL, Chicago. We'll chance of snow towards evening, high 38. precept probability is 30% tomorrow and 60% for tomorrow night. The wind is southwest at 14. Temperatures northwest 34. Southwest 33 in downtown to City, 34 CFL.
3: Una promesa eres tú, eres tú.
4: Chicago 1112 ready to lay down another super hit album this time color 13 at 5910500 takes it. Soul Train. Jay Ryan. Get down, get down. WCFL. Oh, and a great instrumental. I haven't been turned on like that since Watermelon Man. Bill Tater in Chicago, rocking and rolling in his 1121. On Wednesday, April 10th, Prospect High School presents Woody Herman and the band Renown. Advanced tickets are available by phoning 255 9700, extension 250. You better see it. What? There ain't nothing like it. No,
3: no,
5: no.
4: WCFL. Dick Sage Show from Chicago. It's 1126 with Gilbert O'Sullivan. WCFL and Bill Tater at two fifty seven in Chicago with VJs and a little haha stuff. I
3: started a
4: joke. Up on board, Bill Tater at three o'clock from the Voice of Labor.
3: WCFL, Chicago.
4: Larry Lou Jack, Super Jack posters for seventy four your spree. At <laughs> all Chicago-area atomic hand stores. May mother. Super CFL. Na, 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 na. Na, 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 WCFL. Tom T. Hall loves bourbon in a glass and leafy green substance.
3: I love WCFL.
4: The Oak Park Ski Club invites new members to its meeting next Tuesday at 8.30 p.m. So if you got some new uh, ski equipment for Christmas, think about that. That could be fun. For full details, call this guy. His uh, name is Don, 279-0411. Spread the little love with the Love Unlimited Orchestra. CFL. All right. Watch some girls. Stay out of trouble, too. 310 Saturday night. You got the old occasions. wants uh. WCFL. Bill Tater at 321 with the Drifters. You
3: can dance. Mm-hmm. Say the last dance for me. Mm-hmm.
4: WCFL. James Dean. That's my favorite part of the whole song. Bill Tater at 324 with David Essex and Rock On. Yeah. For teenagers, especially. Salas Cooper. WCFL, Bill Tater in Chicago at 334. Think about combining your college education with the Navy Reserve. Details are available to you now. Wherever you are in the U.S., just call toll free. Area code 312 353 6605. Super CFL
5: in a never-ending quest to satisfy your deepest desires. As determined by your response that what you really want and need is money. Enough to make your wildest dreams become realities. WCFL is now in the process of gathering what might be considered as a small fortune. In fact, $50,000. And winning a portion of it is as close as your very own phone. As we present...
4: Super CFL!
5: Super Call! Coming this Monday morning, WCFL's Tom Murphy will announce an amount of money. When you hear it, remember it. When he calls you, he will ask only one question. How much money is in the Super Call total for the hour? If you answer correctly, you win it. At times, he may even throw in an extra $10,000 bill. Coming Monday morning, world-famous Tom Murphy with Super Call on Super CFL.
4: In Chicago on a Saturday night at 338 with the Moody Blues. Tell her I
3: need
4: my baby. Oh. WCFL, skin your hearts, skin your knees is Terry Jacks.
3: Goodbye to you, my trusted friend.
1: There you are, 1974 WCFL and Bill Taylor. What was featured two years on Rewound Radio. So, sort of put this on your calendar a little bit for Labor Day weekend. I know it's going to be a really, really long time from now, but if you put that tickler in your uh, in your calendar, you won't regret it. You're going to love Rewound Radio and the WLS and WCFL battle. which is what it was right yeah were there a lot of people that worked with you that were sort of swapped and stolen from either ls or cfl that all of a sudden you know you're relieving them on their shift and all of a
2: sudden they're on the other station there wasn't too much of that when i was at wcfl uh i think a lot of that had taken place just before Okay. Of course, when I was at uh, CFL, Dick Saint was there, who was at WLS before that, mm-hmm. and he and I shared the, uh, the honor of, uh, of working at KSJ some years earlier. Oh And a lot of people don't know that Dick Saint was at KSJ. Everybody relates uh, him with KRLA. But he did go to KSJ for a while, and there's a survey there's a KSJ survey with his picture on it. So that's one thing that we discuss about how it didn't work out for us when we were there. <laughs> at different times, of course, he was a couple. He was there a couple years before I was. And
1: it turned out to be okay. Yes. Even though it didn't work out. Didn't work out. Speaking of surveys, I saw when I pulled up your name, this was a year ago when I first met you, I was foreign to most of everybody that was in that room that night. And I saw this survey with your picture on it, sold on eBay. Have you seen that?
2: No, I have not.
1: Have you got any of your surveys left from back in the day? I don't, know. No. No. Wow. That's a shame. I wonder if you've sort of put the word out that somebody would
2: be able to float a picture back with you on a survey. I could probably look at some picture online and that, yeah, that's but, that's but but a
1: but here but here's the problem with that and that's what I was gonna tell you. That one that was sold on eBay, they took a very thin piece of paper and they put eBay 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 step and repeat and they laid that long piece of paper right over your face on the picture. So that way you couldn't just take a picture and just that'll be it uh, yeah you're not going to buy it right they sort of stepped in my manure right there by doing that <laughs> but they did it on purpose you understand why they did it yeah yeah but that's all I could find that's all I could find you have a a person that is sort of a uh, collectible junkie from the CFL side
2: not really you know working at WCFL in the record library at one time I'm sure you heard of him was Tom Conard yes I know the and, name passed away a number of years ago. He was a collector of that sort of thing. And I think whatever surveys I had from wherever I worked, I, I gave them all to him. So he, he was yeah. a collector of memorabilia anyway.
1: And then God only knows what happens when somebody dies. Right, yeah. Wow. A lot
2: of the memorabilia found its way back to the States, I guess. Uh, I had heard of somebody, because he was living in Belgium. Oh, my. When he passed away, and he took all that radio memorabilia, audio, paper, whatever, so he took all the, like, cassettes and reel-to-reels and Everything, st- yeah.
1: Oh, my.
2: And I understand that uh, his son or stepson was just going to toss it all or have it... put I, Maybe they have a, one of those junk places uh, oh, man. In, in Europe. But somebody, and I don't know who, supposedly put up about four grand to bring all that stuff back to the States. As in freight? As in freight, yes. Whoa. Yeah. I think... Art might know more. Art Bolo might know more about that story than I do. But that, that's one of the stories that floated around. Yeah, because everything goes
1: throughout Rolo. So, right. yeah, <laughs> you know how that goes. Yeah. Well, that's great that if that's true, that's great that it was
2: salvaged. Yes.
1: You know, I, I ended up making my one of my projects during the pandemic is to take those reel to reels and those cassettes that I had from my boxes of stuff and digitize them and make them electronic. And then share them with people, either the person that was actually on the tape or another collector person, uh, just to make sure that it wasn't just in one place. God forbid something happens to either my computer or these reel-to-reels, they're done.
2: Right, I know. Yeah, yeah when you think about it, audio recordings on, on magnetic tape is so fragile. Oh, it is. Um, X-rays, whatever, can just destroy it. Yeah. And you think, uh, not, not that digital recordings are... Totally invulnerable, but uh, there are certainly a lot safer yeah. way to preserve well, audio,
1: and they're also so much more easily shareable. Yes, because I mean, honestly, I talked to Ted Gordon Smucker maybe at dinner time last night, and I said, "Hey, by chance, do you have something from Bill from the Rewound Radio thing?" And he goes, "Yeah, absolutely." He goes, "Give me an hour." And all of a sudden, I had four files on my computer. It's like, come on, really? Yes. You know, back in the day, he'd have to go down in the basement and dig through something and then mail it to you and then, you know. Um, Who
2: knows what's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. You know,
1: Bill Shannon said one time that when things are as bad as they are, either brittle or just they stick together sometimes, those magnetic tapes, that they put them in the oven and bake them.
2: I heard that. Yeah.
1: And I can't imagine that whole process because I would be so nervous that if you overbaked it, oh, my God. And he has done it over and over and over again to preserve that delicate tape and make it into radio ready audio tapes.
2: Really? Yes. Good for him. Yeah.
1: Good. And it's his passion. And it's just it's phenomenal that they linked up and they're they're making this big program. Yeah.
2: It, it's tedious and fine work, so if somebody's doing that, that has to be a passion.
1: It is. That's exactly it. Hey, I've got a question for you. Um, what do you miss the most about Top 40 Radio in the heyday of wherever you were, whether it be KHJ or WCFL or wherever? What do you miss the most? The
2: immediacy of knowing that somebody could just turn one knob, maybe two, and be able to hear you. Yeah. Um, and somebody, well, I, I consider myself to be a radio listener as well as a, a broadcaster. Just, just the idea of, okay, I can turn on this radio station and find out if anything new is becoming popular. Mm-hmm. And that's something you really can't do these days. The combination of that and having somebody, uh, a personality, present the music to you. Yes. I don't know. There's. there's I think it was a certain synergy that you can't, hard to duplicate.
1: That's it. And that's why any time I have the opportunity to go back on the radio, even for one evening, I take advantage of it because that energy that you talked about comes back in you. It really doesn't matter how many years you have not done it or have not experienced. And I think a lot of entertainers, like singers, they will say that that same energy is when they step on stage and the lights go on. Now, I can't relate to that because that's a whole different animal, right. but they say it's similar.
2: Yeah, I believe that. I think uh, whether somebody's on the radio or doing something on stage, there's, there's an energy that goes back and forth.
1: Yeah. Were there a lot of people that you knew at Art Volo's party, or were a lot of those people strange to you because it was towards the Detroit market?
2: I'll make an estimate here that probably 15 20% of the people who were there I knew I uh, either knew, knew their name or I had seen them at arts party before and I had some inkling as to what their background was.
1: Oh, gotcha. Yeah. Okay. I didn't know that you were a repeat offender by going yes. to those
2: parties. Right.
1: Really? Have you been to more than two?
2: Yes. Wow. I uh, would say four or five. Probably.
1: Wow. Yes. Wow. Yeah. I have a new respect for you because <laughs> I think you have a treasure trod- trove of all kinds of stories since
2: you're like four years in. Well, I found out about the. the the radio reunion slash art bolo's party through jim davis who we've talked about Mm -hmm. and uh actually the first place i met art bolo his name comes up a lot in this conversation was (laughs) in florida i i was uh sometimes i'll go down to florida i know jim and i know people who are under parts of the state so what i'll do is i'll fly into whatever city's convenient rent a car and hit four places you oh yeah sure Uh, good idea and and so while i was visiting jim i uh, used a spare bedroom for a couple of nights. Art happened to be coming through town, and we, we all went out to dinner, and that's where I met Art for the first time. Oh my. And I thought to myself, this guy should have been on the radio because he really doesn't stop talking. You know? no, he's <laughs> got the stories, he's got so many stories. And he's not bashful about telling them. That's no. the cool part about it. So uh, I kind of made a pact with Art at that time. I said, look, you know, a lot of times I drive to Toronto because I have friends there. Oh. So once a year, I'm, I haven't done it in a while. And, you know, it's not like I can drive the 560 miles from Chicago to Toronto in one sitting like I could when I was uh, in my 20s and 30s. Yeah. So we kind of worked out thing, was why thing. not you, why don't you, you know, drive to as far as here... Crash out for the night and then continue your ride to Toronto. Good plan. And so we did that, and so that gave us the opportunity to, you know, do breakfast, and lunch, and talk even more about radio. And Excellent. So that's, that, that's how I got acquainted with, uh, that with is, art.
1: That is really good. Was WCFL as in-your-face, press-the-flesh as WLS was? And I asked that because I don't live in Chicago. I'm 90 miles northwest of Chicago. You know, everybody had a radio station van, everybody had albums to give away and concert tickets and stuff like that. Do you remember a, a great promo or a great event that you participated in that was just over the top?
2: Not over the top, really. I'm trying to think of anything. You mean External, like a, a public appearances? And yes, yes. I can't think of any right at the moment.
1: Did they ever have you do like the Jerry Lewis telethon and stuff like that? Did they tap your staff for that kind of stuff?
2: Well, WCFL for a while we did the uh, the Danny Thomas uh, uh, raising money for St. Jude's. Oh, great! Uh, actually, shortly after I got there, they were holding that. They would pick one weekend in the fall to do this, and Danny Thomas actually came to town. Whoa! And so he was in the studio, had a chance to sh- uh, shake hands with him. So we would play music and then remind people, here's the number you call to donate money. Right. Uh, but it was all done, you know, at at the station. But Excellent. We, but we, you know, of course, when you have Somebody like Danny Thomas, who was extremely well-known back then, Yeah, uh, coming in and being on your station, that gets attention.
1: It does.
2: You know, there's so many people that came into our studios over the years.
1: I mean, anywhere from Red Skelton to Neil Diamond and everybody in between. You know, they play that night, they come in, they do the morning show or the midday show, and they do a little 15-minute spiel, and on they go. Mm -hmm. All the FM people would know exactly who's coming in. I mean... Danny Thomas would be a good example. It's hard to mistake who Danny Thomas is right. when he walks by the copy machine. On the other hand, us AM people, I wasn't old at the time by any stretch of the imagination. I was the youngest on the staff, but we were more news talk and adult contemporary. We were not the upcoming rock and rollers, and this would be in the 80s, so everybody had big hair, whether they be male or female. Yes. So these people would walk by, and they would go through what we call the bullpen, which is where all the announcer desks were. And these people would walk in heading for the FM. I would have zero clue who they are. None. I mean, not even an inkling as to who they were. So, of course, afterwards I would ask, hey, who did you have in today? They'd say the name. Still no clue. So I would go grab a cart. And just go in the production room and stick it in and listen, still, no clue as to who these people were, and I felt so stupid, but yet they were the up and coming. the record label wanted to get them in and get some airplay and get their popularity kicked off, so they were new, they were not vintage people, but yet I just I felt so out of touch i couldn 't believe it. But then you had Rick Nielsen from Cheap Trick come in too. So, you know, the pendulum swung both ways. Oh,
2: sure it did. And and some of the people that you saw walk through that didn't didn't recognize, maybe a year or two later, everybody knew who they were. Oh, absolutely. That's exactly.
1: You know who the one was a very good example? He didn't have big hair at the time, was Rick Springfield. Oh, yes. That was a very good example. I had no clue who he was. I don't watch soap operas. You know, (laughs) he was on a soap opera. And two years later, skyrocketed.
2: Yes, he had. He had a run.
1: Oh, he did. <laughs> yeah, he had a run for sure. <laughs> he did have a run. Uh, is there somebody that that was so sort of your golden ticket that you wanted to either appear with or interview or some celebrity that you go, God, if I could only get a hold of that person.
2: Well, growing up in Chicago radio, I, uh, I would uh, be one of those people before I was even in the industry. I always wanted to see what was... Happening in that frontier, that was we used to call it, to the right side of WJJD, which was then the station on eleven sixty, hmm. because in that area you found brokered programming and foreign language programming and stuff that was very very different.
1: Yeah, urban music. Urban stuff like music,
2: like that. yes. Yep. Um, there was a long time, and I don't know if you'll know the name or not, um, Herb Kent. I don't know that name. Okay, Herb Kent was a mainstay. Um, on African American radio, he was—he was, he was doing—he uh, was on the radio as early as the fifties. Oh my! And he had a background where he actually played classical music in the in the late forties. Hmm. The last place he was on the air was V one hundred three which oh. is an F- FM station. He would do a weekend, it was like weekend oldies, but it was the accent on all the soul hits. Nice. All, although sometimes he would throw in American, the Beatles, just because he liked them.
1: You know? <laughs> well, sometimes you just need cheese on your cheeseburger. <laughs> right.
2: But he had this very mellow voice, and he, he was a storyteller.
1: Oh, nice.
2: Uh, and so, yeah, I always wanted to make contact with him because I remember in fishing for stations that were in that, that zone where Hardly anybody would venture to. Mm-hmm. I would hear him on one station or another. He was on WVON when they were a music station. I remember that when, station. When, when, Leonard, when the uh, uh, the chess company bought out the station that was on 1450 and made a WVON.
1: Do you remember the name Tom Joyner? Yes, I do. Because doesn't Tom Joyner sort of fit in the same hole, just a different era?
2: Dif- different era, okay. exactly. Yes. Same deal, though. Same deal. Okay. Yeah.
1: And now one of my... Good friends that I worked with at WROK and WZOK back in the 80s does afternoon drive on on V103, and that's Joe Soto. Oh, really? Okay. So, in fact, you may recognize the names of Lisa Fielding on WBBM, yes, and Lisa Dent on WGN. They all work afternoons. They all work within a block and a half of each other, and all four of us worked in radio together in the same building in the mid-80s. No kidding. Yes. And isn't that a little weird for them? Yes. And, they, you know, they'll get together. Those, These people will still get together and go to a Cubs game. That's what's crazy. That is crazy. You know, you would figure that whole competition thing, you know, there was times where they'd sort of give you the snake eye, you know, if you saw a competitor in the same reception room. But now they go, eh. Eh, it's just it's just numbers. It's just ratings. It's just radio. Right. So sort of cool. Tell me about working with Larry Lujak on WCFL.
2: I Got to see him once in a while. Usually when I would go in to record, we when, when the, the shows that I did, I would if I worked the Saturday shift, they would like you to record the the, the very late part, the two to three a.m., two to four a.m., have that pre-recorded. No way. Back yeah. in the day. Yeah. Really. Um, so, I, when I would come in, I would see him. I used to talk to Larry quite a bit before I worked at WCFL. He was kind of like a mentor. Oh. He would actually take my phone calls and stuff before I was even in radio. I guess he thought, well, who's, who's this person with a radio voice who doesn't work in radio? <laughs> right. Maybe that was it. But uh, he wanted to discover you. Right. But I, I thought him to be very humble and uh, very down to earth in all the communication I had with him. He was not a pompous person personally, he was a private person.
1: Well, boy, when you got him in front of a TV reporter or somebody like yes. that, he would flip on the pompous. He,
2: he would, yes. He would. He knew and how to do that.
1: Which, granted, it's more entertaining than just sitting there and being humble. I, right? get, I get that. <laughs> yes, I know. But sometimes he would just, um, he would not answer a question, and he would flat out tell the reporter, oh, now come on. That's just one of your stock questions. That's just silly. Can't you come up with something better than that? <laughs> that? That would be Larry, yes. Yeah, yeah. And then, of course, that guy feels like he's standing there with his pants down around his ankles, right. which is exactly probably what Larry wanted to yep. accomplish. Oh, that's hilarious. Wow. What about Art Roberts?
2: Of course, yeah, I was working the shift after Art. Uh, le- you know, A legend, for sure. Um, <laughs> and I had met Art a number of years ago. Well, you remember how you said you went down to all, all the radio stations? Yeah. Uh, I, had go- I had met him at WLS... I think when I was just out of high school, I had gone there and he was working or something like that when they had uh, visitors and things like that. So I had a chance to meet him. Um, Then, of course, I I, I kind of followed him after he left Chicago. He went to San Francisco to work at KNBR. No, wait a minute. After he left WLS, he went to KNBR. And I think he had briefly a management job managing that AM, F, FM in Oak Park. I think he was there briefly, and then he went to San Francisco. Then he came back to Chicago to work at CFL.
1: When he was at San Francisco, he didn't work at KFRC, did he? No,
2: he worked at KNBR, okay. which was kind of like a middle-of-the-road gotcha. uh, format at that time. But they're probably okay. sports now, like yeah. most of the AMs are. But, <laughs> yeah. but, yeah, it was owned by NBC, and they were, they were doing kind of a middle-of-the-road format.
1: I heard, and I don't know if you can reconfirm this or not, and maybe I could Google it and find out, but I heard that I think it was Ron O'Brien and Art Roberts were the first ones to interview the Beatles before they came to America. Does that sound right? Not the first people to play their records. I think Dick Bianchi claims that, but an interview, does that sound familiar
2: at all? With Art Roberts, that would make sense. With Ron O'Brien, he was kind of young I would, I would put Ron O'Brien probably in high school when the Beatles first hit because Art oh. Robert sounds like that could, be, that could be correct.
1: I don't know that there's a recording of it. I mean, again, I yeah. have to sort of look it up. But you sort of know who you're rubbing elbows with yes. <laughs> when, mm-hmm. when you get to a station when you realize some of their past. And honestly, I mean, granted, I was 19 years old. I had no idea when I went into Chicago who was going to be assigned to us for a couple of hours. So Art Roberts comes out. I have no idea who he is. I have no idea of his past, nothing. Mm-hmm. He was just the afternoon guy or the midday guy. The midday guy, yeah. And that's that's all I knew. Well, then you walk out of the room and you start looking up stuff, which, granted, I couldn't just Google it back there. That was 1979. And you start realizing, oh, my God, I was in the same room with this guy. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. And I didn't even acknowledge it because I didn't know it. Of course, he probably knew I didn't know it either. (laughs) You know?
2: I I remember, Art, I was very young at the time, but, you know, WLS, they were, I think, bought by ABC in 1959 or something like that. Okay. Uh, There were two stations on 890, actually, WLS and WENR, and they would share that frequency.
1: How does that work?
2: Well, one station would sign off, the other would sign on. And WLS was the the barn dance station. Oh, oh, you're talking way back. Way back. Oh, my. Yeah, 40s and 50s. So ABC came in and bought, they bought both stations. And they consolidated the whole thing into WLS. And it was the next year, like May of 60, that they decided to do a top 40 format. Yeah, do the And brought in Beyond E and all those people. Yeah. Uh, So Art Roberts came shortly after because they started in May. And there were some changes, and then he—they brought him in to do the early afternoons. They had like a news block on from twelve to twelve thirty, and then oh, Art would be on. Oh, that's even funnier. From, yeah, and yeah. Art would be on from twelve thirty to three, um, and then they had Biondi, of course. When Biondi left, they moved Art to do that night show, to replace Dick Biondi. and then uh, then later on, of course, with the format change with John Rook and everything, they moved Art back to middays. Do you think even
1: during that? Change and you said they had a news block at noon. Do you think they were playing Paul Harvey's news and comment because they were ABC? Yes,
2: they were and absolutely. They were.
1: And yeah. he was just downstairs, one floor.
2: Right. Yes. Oh my. That, they rent. They ran That, Paul seems, Har- that right. seems odd for right. back in the
1: day for to do a. The day. Yeah, yeah. They, they would a, have.
2: Paul Harvey was on. Uh, it's going back a lot of years, of course, but Paul Harvey would do a five o'clock p.m. Mm-hmm. A newscast that would replace the, the regular. they do the, the regular ABC news as they always did. Five minutes before the top of the hour. Okay. And then at five, they would run uh, Paul Harvey, and they also had a longer Paul Harvey newscast at noon, and then some other newscasts would follow. Yeah. Probably the farm markets and stuff like that.
1: Wow, that just seems so foreign. I think Paul also did—I don't know if it was live or pre-recorded—but he did a 7:25 a.m. five-minute newscast, and then of course Paul Harvey's rest of the story. Yes. And you know, we were talking about radio as it is now television newspaper I was on a panel for um, Rock Valley College two days ago and you know we had a very very nice audience and and these guys that I've worked with in the past and it was really sort of nice to reminisce and my portion of this was to talk about how things are now and how things are futuristic and you know a lot of people are down on the way that corporations have overrun radio they have shrunk their staffs you know they're doing a lot of voice tracking blah 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 that's the whole conversation all right i said well to swing that back the other way with technology because technology sort of has stolen those jobs you know to a certain degree both television and radio and newspaper for that matter Um, but the swing on that is if i've got the time right For a friend of mine in Richmond, Virginia, or San Diego, or Phoenix, Arizona, if I've got the time right, I can pull up an iHeartRadio app or stream on their site and listen to these guys that I used to listen to when I was in high school because they're still in the industry. Yeah. And back in the day, that would just be impossible to do. Again, they'd have to record it. They'd have to mail you a cassette. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And it's sort of just not the same, is it? <laughs> it isn't the same. There,
2: there, there were, for a time, uh, monitor lines. Some stations would have them, if they had, a, especially if they had a consultant, even though there was no online way to pick up a station if the consultant was miles away out of the uh, range is, of the station. This is a kind of a direct feed over phone lines or yes, something? Yes, you call a certain phone number, it would trip, and you'd hear, you'd hear the, uh, the audio feed from the station
1: they use that reason with the consultant like they would if you were going out and, and broadcasting a, a sports event?
2: Pretty much, yeah. It was just one way, of course. Oh, wow. Yeah, so a lot of consultants would, would monitor their stations that way. they just, all they'd do is call the number and listen to it. I mean, obviously you had phone quality. I know, but, but, but still. You would hear any formatical errors or yeah. anything like that you'd certainly pick up on.
1: That was the consultant's
2: way of air checking the yes. station. yes.
1: Do you remember doing air check sessions with um, your program directors?
2: A few times, not <laughs> not very a lot, often. not very often. No, really?
3: Yeah.
1: God, there was a time when I was young in the industry. I think it was Charlie Quinn was my program director then. But you know, I was what 21, something like that. We used to have them every Friday afternoon, so they could either really make your weekend, <laughs> right, or really, you know not
2: (laughs) well i think i was fortunate because the the times where i did do that sat down and we listened to what i did i always had program directors who would say this could use work that was excellent do more of that that's right yeah that's right so that part i i enjoyed and i i really didn't mind it i i i had a kind of in my heart to let's get this right if we're going to do it yeah so if somebody could point out Some ways we could make the product better, I I usually didn't have a problem with that.
1: You know, I learned, I don't know, maybe 15 years ago when I became a leader in Boy Scouts that when you did something, whether it be a camp out, whether it be a pumpkin fundraiser, whatever the deal was, it was a session of stop, start, and continue. That's what we called it. What should we start doing? There's obviously a, a big hole there that we need to start. What should we stop doing? Oh, that didn't work. We tried it, but it doesn't work. And what should we continue doing? That was the really, really good stuff. Don't forget to do it again next time. Right. Very helpful. And my wife still uses that formula to this day because she's in marketing for the Edgebrook Shopping Center where our studio is normally located. She will email the vendors or the merchants or whoever and say, while this is fresh in your mind, please tell me, what did you like? What should we continue? What should we stop? What did we try? What should we try that you just thought of 12 hours ago? And it's made the events better. Right. Yeah. I think
2: you can apply that to going over an air check, too. You, I, that's what yeah, I'm saying. Yeah. I
1: wish I knew that 40 sure. years ago because you would approach that air check session <laughs> in a whole different way.
2: Yes. Instead of a reaming session, which sometimes they turned out to be. Right. When they shouldn't be. I, I think if, if somebody got hired... There's obviously some talent there, and you want to build on what that talent is. So where the focus should be, in my opinion, of course, yes. where the focus should be is what is this person doing right that, mm-hmm. that, that we can really make sure that we know that that is what is appreciated.
1: Well, and you can capitalize on it either by blending it over into the different day parts, right. you know, like we could have Bill and Art do a little crossover talk type thing because, look, they're sort of similar this way, and we think it would be a nice mesh do built in teasers or something like that that they never did at the station before. And that helps the station evolve. And sometimes people just aren't open to that. It's like, well give it a try. Try it for one week. And if it falls flat on its ass, okay fine, yank it. That's what we do with records. That's exactly. <laughs> right. You know, let's give it a try. You know, if it's Cyndi Lauper and nobody wants to have fun with girls, yank the record. Right. <laughs> That's a really bad analogy, but you get my ideas. Speaking of music, when we were playing your segment on WCFL, and I want to just give you an idea of some of the songs that you played, which were so good. I mean, this is when I was 14 years old, so I love this stuff. You remember Rock On by David Essex? Yes, I do. The Locomotion by Grand Funk Railroad. Yes. Hooked on a Feeling. Remember who that was? Not not B J Thomas.
2: No, it was Blue Swede and There it, you go. It was probably one of my least favorite, but uh, <laughs>
1: <laughs> now see we could go on a whole conversation right. like, like Bob Surratt. He goes, I hated the music from the seventies. Uh, I don't know why, but he always says that. And now he features one of those songs with the little trivia thing on his morning show on WGN.
2: I always thought Blue Swede was kind of a tune out, but I I mean a lot of the seventies music was good. I mean for a lot of people what, first comes to mind is music went downhill from the 60s there was disco and there was this but yep. I also have to remember too that in the 70s we had some really landmark watershed albums released it was uh, stevie wonders uh songs in the key of life yes. asia by steely dan there's like oh. three or four uh, ones where they they don't make music like that anymore. yeah really rumors s-
1: fleetwood mac yes exactly wow yeah if i mention some songs do you want to try to guess who sings them sure
2: are you do you, do you like that i, I Okay. No, no guarantees in management here, but <laughs> give it a shot. All right, you ready? Sure. Get Down. Uh, Gilbert O'Sullivan.
1: Excellent. Okay. Benny and the Jets.
2: Oh, that was Elton John. That's easy. Okay. That's an easy Seasons one. Seasons in the Sun. Uh, Terry Jacks.
1: Excellent. Okay. The Most Beautiful Girl.
2: Charlie Rich.
1: Wow. Everybody Plays the Fool.
2: Main Ingredients. Smash it. Wow. Was,
1: Top yeah. of the world.
2: Carpenters.
1: Yes. And I still remember that I was on the air... When the news guy came over, threw me a piece of paper, this was in Charleston, West Virginia, and said, well, the skinny girl finally croaked. <laughs> That's how he told me that oh. Karen Carpenter died. But I'm going, Steve, really? And he goes, I'm in the newsroom. There's no emotion in the newsroom. We just state the facts. So I'm going, yeah, but that was a little harsh.
2: It was. Sorry. Good
1: yes. God. Uh, another song is I Started a Joke. Bee Gees. Okay. I don't know this song. I know the group. Rock and Roll Baby. Stylistics. It is. Yes. I bet I'd recognize the song, but I don't recognize the title. Yeah. You <laughs> remember Love's
2: theme? Uh, Love Unlimited Orchestra. That was That was like that, that whole Barry White Corporation yes, thing. Yes, yeah.
1: yes. This is so good that you know mm. these. Smoking in the Boys Room. Uh, Brownsville Station? Yep. Okay. Save the Last Dance for Me.
2: Well, you know, I remember the Drifters version of that. but that, i don't...
1: That's the one you played in oh, 1974. Really? That's okay. right. That
2: was a really old song. Right. In 1974.
1: Is, yeah. And this is one of my favorite songs. I love this song. Show and tell.
2: Al Wilson. Excellent. Yeah, okay.
1: Wow. You get the gold star on your forehead today. <laughs> Frankie at Frankie's Deli is going, why is that guy walking around with a star on his forehead?
2: <laughs> Wait, no, as, as long as you mention the Carpenters. This is a very memorable moment for me. The short time I was at KHJ uh, substituting, I sat in for Johnny Williams on the overnight show. Mm. He was on vacation. And at that time, this is before they were, they were getting ready to bring in Charlie, Charlie Van Dyke, to the morning show. So what they did to try and fill in that gap, because Robert W. Morgan was, left, was gone, of course, uh, is they would bring in recording artists and people who, were in, people who were stars, well-known celebrities, to come in and be guest hosts on the oh, show. Please. so please. So during that time, they brought in a couple of the Osmond brothers for one morning. Okay. Um, Glenn Campbell is one that wow. they brought in. And I was always, always liked Glenn Campbell because he went out of his way to meet me because he, he told me he listened to me on the way in and really? liked the way I sounded and stuff like that and shook my hand and that was like a, that was a moment. That wow. Was, that was an ego-building moment. But yeah. uh, there was also a, a morning where Karen and Richard Carpenter came in. Speaking at the carpenters, okay. and somehow, um, during a news break or something, I was out in the hallway of KHJ, and I got into a conversation with with Richard, okay. and it was a, it was a strange. I, I, I think he remembers it. I had somebody ask him about it years later. We actually ended up. He had just gotten new contact lenses. Okay. <laughs> and, and I, <laughs> I wear until the and, and this day still wear contact lenses. So we this, we had this. 5 have been the conversation about of all things the different brands of contact lens solution.
1: <laughs> of all the things <laughs> right. that you could talk about, right?
2: Um, and then, <laughs> and then the, the, during the conversation, Paul Drew mentioned that uh, you know Bill's only been in radio this amount of time, and he's he's working in Los Angeles, and this is sort of like somebody uh, coming out of junior high and going right into the NFL or something like that. I think that's the sounds analogy. familiar. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, just, but I remember that conversation with Richard Carpenter about you speak with somebody who's like famous. Yes. And the conversation is, is about the most mundane that you could possibly imagine.
1: I purposely walked into an interview in the Holiday Inn in Rockford. And I remember the, the room that they put us in still had brown paneling. So that gives you an idea of just how long ago it was. And I purposely walked into this interview not going to ask your stock softball questions of this particular music artist because they've heard it a hundred times before right and it's boring for them i mean just think of the crap that they have to go through week after week after week because everybody wants to talk to them i decided that i was going to take the angle of this particular artist playing in major league baseball and it was charlie pride And that man has enormous hands. And he's like six foot four. Right. And just the most nice, welcoming guy you'd ever want to be a part of. And when I started mentioning the Milwaukee Brewers, you should have seen his eyes. It's like, how in the crap do you know this? He didn't say that. Right. But that's where most of our conversation was. And it was maybe, I don't know, four days prior to that interview that his jet narrowly intersected with another jet in flight. And it was a scare. Yeah, I because, bet it was. Yeah, because at, at the point where the pilots realized this is not good, they had to make a very quick adjustment. It was all over the news and I vowed to myself I was not going to bring that up at all. And I didn't. And good for you. It was yeah. a it was a great conversation, but if people were going to tune in on my show to hear Charlie Pride music information, they didn't get much. Right. (laughs) They got got a lot of baseball.
2: Yeah, it's it's a good angle, too, because now people are hearing something that they haven't heard before about about Charlie.
1: Yeah. Let me tell you a story uh, when you talk about interviews that I just experienced last week. So I was down in Nashville because friends of mine invited me to go down for an awards ceremony, and it's the uh, Josie Music Awards for Independent... Uh, music artists, people that are not signed to big labels. And there's a lot of talent out there. It's just crazy. But not everybody gets signed to a big music label. So that's why they do this. So I looked at other things going on in the area because I just just didn't want to go down for this particular event and then turn around and come home. So I ended up seeing at the Grand Ole Opry that there was a show called Country Classics. And I spent the beginning of my radio career in country So I know Larry Gatlin and the Gatlin brothers. right? And I know who Sawyer Brown is. Louise Mandrell, who is Barbara Mandrell's uh, second sister, uh, was also playing. So I bought into this VIP thing, backstage tour, because I'd never been to the Grand Ole Opry. They rolled out the red carpet, and they gave us our own dressing room for whatever we needed to do, and blah, blah, blah. So in walks this guy with a guitar, and he said, There's no way that any of you folks know who I am. My name is Don Schlitz. And, of course, we still didn't know. (laughs) And he says, I am the only member of the Grand Ole Opry that has not had a hit song sung by me. He's a songwriter. Okay. And he's the only songwriter in the Grand Ole Opry. Not the only songwriter in the Hall of Fame, but the only one in the Grand Ole Opry. So my jaw dropped open going, oh my God, what kind of a songwriter must this guy be? So he sat down and started singing to us Forever and Ever Amen, that was recorded by Randy Travis.
2: Right, remember, it well.
1: And then he says, I also wrote so-and-so, sung by the Judds, and so-and-so, sung by, and he goes down and he goes, but this one, this one, after three fantastic semesters at Blah 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 College, I dropped out, I came to Nashville, I wanted to make it as a songwriter, and five grueling years later, this was my first song that was recorded. And he started playing The Gambler by Kenny Rogers.
2: I think I have heard that on satellite <laughs> radio. Yes, oh God.
1: Yes. And he's a funny guy. Yeah. So we're backstage, and we're doing different tours, and they're showing us all these different things. And here comes this little bitty pint-sized lady flying out of a dressing room And she goes, wow, this looks like a brand new group. And she goes down the line shaking hands. And she says, hi, I'm Louise Mandrell. Hi, I'm Louise Mandrell. So when she got down to me, I'm shaking her hand. I says, Louise, you and I have not seen each other for 43 years. And the last time we saw each other, we were both behind microphones in your tour bus when you were married to R.C. Bannon. And you should have seen the look on her face. Almost like You're bullshitting me, right? (laughs) And I pulled out a picture because I figured I needed to be prepared. If I don't see her, fine. That's okay. But if I do, by chance, which this was, I'd be prepared. So I pulled out a picture out of my suit jacket of her and I in her tour bus from 1980. And I thought she was going to cry. And it was a neat conversation. And she signed different things. And, of course, these other people are going, are you kidding me? We went down the hall a little bit later after we all sort of broke up and she went back to her dressing room. And I feel this tap on my shoulder and it's her and three other people standing behind her. And she says, I went back into my dressing room and I told them the story and I showed them the picture and they almost didn't believe me. So I had to bring them out here and introduce them to you. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, she has to introduce them to me? right? (laughs) Really? Because I was the only source for the good story. Uh, Come on, when those things happen... Yeah, it's just it's divine intervention. It has to be.
2: It probably brought back some memories uh, for her from that time. Yeah, that was a very, yeah. you know, a very big a time. time of up, upcoming for her. And
1: that's when uh, her and the Mandrell sisters had the NBC TV program. Yes. And of course, those girls play I don't know how many instruments and they're very, very talented. And of course, they had guests like Glenn Campbell and other people on their show, too. So I bet that really brought back a lot. And I invited her to be on Storytellers, and she says, I will call you. Well, proof's in the pudding. We'll see. Right. Yeah, because how many people at any party says, oh, we really need to get together. (laughs) We really do. I'll call you. And then crickets. It never happens. Right.
2: Yeah, so we'll see. Right. Of course, this happened. I put three things on my list from Art's party, you know, back a few weeks ago. And uh, one was uh, doing this. And there is a, uh, I don't know if you remember, Andy St. John, who works for yes. a chain of stations in northeastern Indiana. Yeah, isn't he W L K I? Something like that. Okay. Th- they're doing some production providing for stations all over the country out of that little company. Hmm. And so, like, a, like, a, like a syndicated yeah. show? Then they have people cutting uh, intros to songs and things like that. Voice tracking. Voice tracking, mean. yeah. Hmm. I want to find out more about that. And yeah. so he's on my list to call. To yeah, he's a good guy. And then uh, number three, we're talking about people who run WCFL and other stations. Ted Anthony was at that party. And he was at WCFL before I was. Uh,
1: I, do, I do not recognize that yeah, name. I he, probably recognize the face if I went back through the pictures. Ted yes, Anthony.
2: Ted Anthony. He, he okay. was with a cane. He worked at WCFL a couple of years before I got there. He, he he was at WLS, and then CKLW would uh, fit in there somewhere. Wow. But he's living in northwest Indiana. So what and does he want you to do? Well, we just want to get together and talk oh, about oh, gotcha. you know, working at the, the Federation of Labor Station. and uh, to st- <laughs> I talked to him for a good hour while I was there. Excellent. He's got a lot of radio stories because wow. he actually worked in Iran.
1: Uh, on the radio?
2: On the radio. Uh, they, they put on a radio station in Tehran. When the Shah was in charge, and they wanted the, the local population to become more acquainted with American culture, he was there, literally, uh, until three months before the Ayatollah took over.
1: How, how do you get that
2: gig? I don't know, but, but he—you'll have to ask him because the story was so <laughs> intricate. But he's got fascinating stories about that experience, and he literally left uh, three months before it became difficult to get out of that country. Whoa! Yeah.
1: And his first name is what?
2: Uh, Ted Anthony was his air name.
1: Because there's a Rick Anthony Mm -hmm. that I met at the uh, Museum of Broadcast Communications. And Liz and I were doing Life's 3 by 5s podcast there. The docent came in and guided us into the studio. And then he let us go and we did our thing. And then he ends up running across Rick Anthony with his wife in the Hall of Fame area. And he goes, you should really know Tim and Liz over here in the other studio. And so he introduced us, and he has a podcast called Someone You Should Know. So he will have those new artists on because there's someone you should know that you don't know already, and then he'll have people like Jeff Davis and Tommy Edwards. Okay. And maybe the new generations of the podcast listeners have no clue who these people are, and there's another person you should know. So Rick Anthony does this podcast that... He fires off all kinds of really cool guests. He does probably twice as many episodes as we
2: do. Really? Yes. So it's pretty active. There was a uh, TV reporter years ago, uh, Harry Porterfield, in in Chicago television. that name? Yeah. And he had a segment, and he worked for both Channel 2 and Channel 7, CBS and ABC. Uh, Not at the same time, of course. But he had a segment on one of those newscasts called Someone You Should Know. Hmm. But it was about local people who maybe owned a chain of restaurants or something like that. And did you know that this guy owns that restaurant? And, yeah,
1: or uh, invented something. Or invented something. Yeah.
2: From, so he would do a Chicago, someone you should know.
1: That's a nice twist. Yeah. I wish they would do more of that. Yeah. And, and granted, radio, TV, newspaper, anybody could do it. Yes. You know, just do it within their own format and uh, give some exposure to those people that you would have no clue that right. they're responsible <laughs> for something that you may use every day. Exactly. Absolutely every day. Wow. Well, Bill Taylor, thank you so much for the email, for the time we spent at uh, Art Volo's party. This has been really, really fun, and I think it's time to go have lunch.
2: I, I think it is. We'll <laughs> have lunch, and I appreciate your allowing me to go off on so many tangents. It was a, lo- no, a that's, lot. No, that's, <laughs> that's,
1: that's, that's
0: our format. <laughs> right. That's our format. Okay. Thanks for having me. Take care. Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Storytellers Studio in celebration of WROK Radio's 100th year in broadcasting.